Welcome to Crossroad International Church, where it's all about Jesus. If you are in Kuwait and looking for a church to call home, we would love the opportunity to welcome you at one of our Friday services. Now, here is this week's message. seated. Open with me, if you would, to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 11 through 23. Starting a small series, I don't know how long it'll go for the summer, on a balanced spiritual growth. And uh, today we want to talk about loving the family of God. Um, we touched on a few of these things last year when we studied 1 John, but this week and next week we'll be in 1 John and then we'll move on to Matthew for balanced spiritual growth or a balanced spiritual life. And like I said today, loving the family of God. Love is crucial to our Christian walk and unity in the church. We can be members of the same church. We can believe the same things. We can say the same creeds. We can go to the same small group. But if we don't love each other, there will be no unity. There's an old saying or an illustration where I'm from in the southern part of the United States. You can take two cats, and you can tie their tails together, and you can hang them over a clothesline, and you will have union, but no unity. <laughs> Lots of fights, and we're not looking for union, we're looking for unity, and unity is, us ba- is based on us loving one another. The New Testament as a whole, and the Apostle John in particular, talks very much about loving one another. John repeats loving one another again and again. It's like love is a nail, and he's trying to drive it home into our lives. Five times in 1 John, John repeats the phrase, love one another. Chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 11. Chapter 4 and verse 12. I think he wanted to make sure that we understood it. You know, things that are repeated in Scripture are very important. Five times he repeats, love one another. And then just in case we didn't give it, he says it in the negative. In chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, If you don't love one another, you're not saved. So he's just beating home this theme of love one another. In the Holman Bible handbook, it says this, John mentioned the importance of the demonstration of a proper attitude, and that attitude is love. 
It's evidence of genuine faith. John presented love as the proof that we have passed from death unto life. Chapter 3, verse 14. He located the chief revelation of love in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, verse 16. The chief manner in which we as believers demonstrate our love is by the kindness and the mercy in ministry to each other, verses 17 and 18. And then in verses 19 to 23, John indicates that our love brought with it an assurance of our standing with God and an assurance in prayer that God will answer our prayer. But the word love is overused, misused, and misunderstood. We say things like, oh, I love my dog. I love that house. I love that car. Oh, I love chocolate cake. Oh, I love cheesecake. I love ice cream. I love Kuwait. I don't hear that very often. I love a good book. I love a beach. I love that movie. Overused, misused, and misunderstood. I read a story of a lady one time, and this is a letter that she wrote to a young man. She says, my dearest Ben, no word can ever express the great unhappiness that I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say that you will take me back, my love. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Betty. P.S. Congratulations on winning the $10 million lottery. <laughs> I'm not sure it was real love. That's not what we're talking about today. We want to look through these passages in 1 John chapter 3. What is biblical love? And I want to bring out five aspects of biblical love for you today. The first one is biblical love fulfills the commandments of Jesus. 1 John 3, 11 to 13. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works for evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, John was not making up this command. It didn't originate with him. It originated with Jesus. John is saying, this is the commandment that you heard from Christ. The command to love one another came from the lips of Jesus. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 34, and 35. 
See, Jesus instructed his followers to love one another. He didn't say like one another. He said love one another. It's the basic fundamentals to a believer's walk with Christ. See, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice that we make. See, we sometimes have a problem loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we have a problem with that, then it's going to be almost impossible to go to the next step where Jesus said, love your enemies. Some people said, you know, sometimes it's easier to love my enemies than the people I sit next to. Jesus gives the world permission to judge whether one is a follower of him simply on the basis of our love for each other. Think about that. Jesus tells the world, look at them. You will know they are my followers because they love one another. Let me give you some quotes from some early writers. Cecilius in AD 210 said of the Christians, they, want, they know one another by secret marks and signs, and they love one another almost before they even know one another. And the Greek writer Lucian in AD 120 said of the early church, it is incredible to see the fervor with which these people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it into their minds that they are all family. We are all family here today. Many of you, I am closer to you here in Kuwait than I am to my physical brother and sister, to my biological family. Tertullian said, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. As I read that, it struck me. Would outsiders today describe the modern Christian church like that? Are believers today fulfilling the command of Jesus to love one another? Let me ask you, the people at work, if they are to judge your Christian life, and let me guarantee you, they do, they're watching you, they're judging the way you live, if they judged you on the basis of your love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, would you pass the test? I've said before, there's an old saying I heard, if you were arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? 
or would they have to acquit you for lack of evidence? Let you go. Oh, not guilty. Hopefully every one of us in our daily life, in our family, in our workplace, there's enough evidence that we are followers of Christ that it would be very easy for a world's court to convict us of being Christians. If you've hidden your Christianity enough to where nobody knows you're a Christian, shame on you. Okay? Especially inside the body of Christ. Biblical love is the foundation of a child of God. The second thing I would like to share is biblical love provides an assurance of salvation. John, 1 John 3, verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother, brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So basically, John says there's two, two categories of people in the world. Spiritually alive, those who love one another, they're the children of God, they are believers. The other category is spiritually dead, they do not love one another. They're the children of the devil, and they are unbelievers. Looking around, I know most of you. I hope every one of us in this room today fits in the first category. Amen. Spiritually alive, loving one another, children of God, and believers. If you fit into the second category, come see me after service and we will move you to the first category. Amen? Pastor Rick Izell, in his commentary, commented on this passage by saying, Let me be clear. Becoming a Christian is not earned by loving the family. Rather, loving the family is proof that one has made the transition from death to life, from a child of a devil to the child of God. Love for the family is an avenue of assurance of salvation, not the means of obtaining salvation. Okay, what he's saying is, because I'm saved, I can love my brothers and sisters. Let me ask you, have you ever gone someplace and you walked in, maybe a, an office or something, and the person that's waiting on you, as soon as you see them, there's some kind of connection, and you find out they're a believer? There's that heart connection, even though you've never met them, you don't know anything about them, our spirits connect with their spirits. I ran across this quote, and uh, I had to stop as I was preparing this message and to really pray about this. If you are questioning your salvation, check your love. If you're questioning your salvation, check your love. 
And if you're questioning your love, check your salvation. Because if we are born again, we will have the love of God inside of us. We just finished the attributes of God. One of God's main attributes is God is love. We are created in his image, and if we are born again, then God's love will be within us. Loving others, listen to this, especially when they are unloving and don't deserve it is a sign that you are part of the family of God. Sometimes it's easy to love the lovable. It's not quite so easy to love the unlovable. Sometimes the person that is the most unlovable is the one that stares back at us every morning in the mirror. See, it's interesting in Scripture. And a lot of times we think it's selfish that we should love ourselves. But the Bible says that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. See, we need to get a picture of ourselves the way God sees us. God says that I was worthy of the broken body of Christ and I was worthy of the shed blood of Christ. So who am I to say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I am not a loving a person that can be loved. I'm worthless. I'm useless. I'm nothing. No, you're not. You are worth the blood of Jesus. You are worth the broken body of Christ. And we need to ask God to help us to love ourselves the way he loves us so that we then can love other people. Number three, biblical love is illustrated by sacrifice. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, Jesus is the prime, supreme example of love. He laid down his life. See, if we want a portrait of love, just look at Jesus. He illustrated love by the life that he lived. He never showed hatred or malice. He only got angry over injustice, but that was motivated by his love for people. This is a picture of what love is. He went out of his way to help even those his fellow Jews despised. He crossed racial boundaries, cultural boundaries, geographical barriers to care for people. It didn't matter who they were or where they were. If they were hurting, Jesus wanted to help. He reached out to the unlovely and the castaways of the world. But the ultimate expression 
was sacrificing his life for me. I want you to think about the cross of Calvary. And it's easy to say that Jesus died for the whole world. Jesus died for everyone. But the reality is Jesus died for me. Amen? See, sometimes it's harder to grasp the reality that Jesus died for me. And when we understand that, it changes our whole outlook on everything. Love is sacrificial. Number four, biblical love is expressed by helping others. Verses 17 to 19. But whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. See, biblical love is expressed in daily acts of service and help that may not equal much at the moment, but when they're all put together, it equals a lot. Every day, acts of kindness. But see, too many times we want the big, the big thing. We want to make the big splash to where everybody comes and pats us on the back. Oh, look what you did. Look how great you are. But what about just a few fills to the guy street, sweeping the street or a cup of cold water on a hot day? See, biblical love is personal. John does something interesting in verse 17. Up until now, he talks about love one another, love the brethren. But in this verse, in verse 17, he makes it personal. He says, if you see your brother in need, it comes down to a one-on-one personal relationship with people. He knew what we often say today, it is easier to love the world than my neighbor. It's easier to love the church than the person sitting across the aisle from me. (laughs) Greville Lewis put it this way, "It's it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with the capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, and otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody is generally an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Think about that. Loving everybody generally sometimes can be an excuse for loving nobody particularly. Now, I'm sure I'm the only one that thinks this way, 
So if you think this way as well, don't laugh or others will know that you're in the same boat as your pastor. There are some people that I would just rather not be around. I like driving on the roads when there are not other drivers there. Now, I'm sure I'm the only one that's that way. I understand. So what do we do? We love them anyway. I've had people I worked with that just rubbed me the wrong way. They knew how to punch my buttons, and they always punched them. And then I thought about that, and I've got some people. I know how to punch their buttons, and I do it to see them react. I remember in Bible school, we had a young lady that sat in front of me in class. And every time class got boring, I would just reach up, and I would punch her in the ribs. And she'd go, ah! And then everybody would get a laugh, and class would be fun again. And it irritated her, and I knew it irritated her, but I did it anyway. Why? Because it got a reaction. I shouldn't have. Now, come on, y'all never have done anything like that, none of you? Okay. I, okay, so pray for your pastor, okay? <laughs> oh, we need to help one another. We forgive them, we pray for them, we help them, we bless them. Biblical love is not just personal, but it's practical. Biblical love always expresses itself in action. John contrasts words against actions. He says, don't love just in word, but love in action. It means don't simply talk about the need, but do something about the need. Biblical love does not just say, I love you. It gets its hands dirty, its feet dusty, and its heart engaged. Biblical love is an action. Love is an action. Love is a choice. I choose to do something. And lastly, number five, biblical love leads to confidence in God, verses 20 to 23. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us the commandment. Dr. John Wolford said this, it's precisely in the sphere of a believer's love for other Christians in which Christ has set him so high a standard 
that he may feel deeply his own inadequacy and failures. Sometimes when we read Scripture, sometimes when we look at the things of God and we see our own life, we feel like we are failures. There's no way I can live up to the standard that God has set. But this scripture says that God is greater than our heart. God has called us, and if he has called us, he gives us the ability to do what we cannot do in ourselves. Dr. Wolford went on to say, If a believer has been engaged in the kind of practical acts of love which John talked about, his guilt-ridden heart can be persuaded by realizing that God is well aware of his fundamental commitment to the truth and that he needs help outside of himself to be committed and to obey the word of God. If you are trying to live this Christian life in your own effort and your own strength, you will fail. Amen? If you are trying to serve God in your own capacity, it's helpless. It's hopeless. We need God's strength and God's power to serve Him. When we understand that it is not us, but it is God. In Galatians 2 and 20, it says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. See, for me to love everybody is impossible. But to allow Jesus who lives in me to love everybody through me, that's easy. Because Jesus gives me the strength and Jesus gives me the power to do it. And that gives me confidence in God. God thinks enough of me, and God has enough confidence in me that he lets me go out into the world and be his voice, to be his mouthpiece. When we were in Africa, we had several Bible schools, and I love teaching in the Bible school, and as a Bible school professor, my favorite thing to do is give exams. I love giving exams. Because I have enough confidence in my students that if I taught them properly, if I taught them properly, they can pass the exam. The Bible says that God allows trials and temptations to come our way to test our faith. God has enough confidence that he's taught us well enough that when he allows the test to come, he knows we will pass. That's why you can rejoice and you can be happy when trials and tests come your way. Because you know that with your hand in the hand of God, and God has prepared you, and God knows what you're capable of doing, he said, okay, hey, let this test come. No big deal. They'll pass it with flying colors. 
When I had students that didn't do well on an exam, I didn't jump on the students. I examined my teaching methods. Because if I taught them properly and prepared them correctly, then they could pass the exam. Let me tell you today, God has confidence in you that you can pass every test that he allows to come your way. And that gives me confidence in God that I can stand and I can allow whatever comes because God is on my side. The, br the brutal truth about loving the family of God comes down to obeying the commands of Jesus by displaying actions of self-sacrifice to others. I asked a question earlier, if people are judging you and judging your Christian faith on the basis of your love for one another, are you passing the test? Do we show the signs and the marks of a Christian by loving the family? And then my last question would be for us as a church. What will people say about Crossroad International Church? Will they say they love one another? When people come here and visit us and talk with us and get to know us, will their testimony be, like Tertullian said, all of those around them say, oh, they love each other so much they're willing to die for one another. They're willing to sacrifice for one another. I pray that is the testimony of CIC, that we love one another. Balanced spiritual growth. After you're saved, it starts with loving the family of God. And when we love one another... It brings, together, it brings us together in unity. And where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's with them. And I just want to say I appreciate this church, appreciate each one of you. Glad you guys stuck it out for the summer. You know, we're kind of more in an intimate setting here over the summer. And um, you can actually see each other. It's amazing. Normally when we're spread out around this whole semicircle, this side can't see this side. But now you get to stare one another in the face. So I'm hoping everybody on this side actually loves everybody on this side. And everybody over here, I hope you actually love everybody over there. So over the summer when we're in this small group and it's time to greet one another, maybe cross over or try this. Next week, try sitting on the other side. You know, I know sometimes we get, we get you know, comfortable. Oh, this is my seat. I grew up in a church. had their name on the end of the pew because they donated it. 
I remember one time coming in and there was some guests sitting on a pew. And one of my relatives came and tapped them on the shoulder and said, would you mind moving? This is our pew. Guess what? Those visitors never came back again. I wonder why. <laughs> Please, don't ever come and ask somebody to get up and move and say, that's my chair, I sit there every Friday, okay? If your chair's taken, just go find somewhere else. If you want that chair every Friday, get here early. Okay, I, I need to quit meddling, I need to pray. Father, we just come to you and we thank you for this time. Would the worship team come up, please? Father, we ask you for just your grace and your mercy. Because, Father, I think about my life, and I know sometimes I'm not a very lovable person. And so I need your mercy and your grace. But, Father, help us to be more like you. Help us to... Come into your presence daily and to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the men and women that are at CIC that truly we are like a family. Father, help us to show love to one another. Not only here, but even to those that we work with, those in the buildings where we live. Maybe even our driver that takes us to and from work every day. Father, help us to live a life before them, a life of love to where because of our love, they know that we are your disciples. And we give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.